The, uh, the scripture we're going to cover today really fits better with the season of Advent than it does the season of Lent, but I guess I kind of figured you guys were probably sick of me talking about confession and, and uh, fessing up to our sins like we've been doing for the last couple of weeks, so we're going to take a slightly different route. <clears throat> I'm really just kind of kidding about that. I have no clue what prompted me to head to these scriptures today, so it, it, must, have been, it must have been something from God. Uh, but what we're going to look at is a, um, it's a really, really weird piece of scripture. It's a very strange piece of scripture. Most, more than likely, you guys are going to get really confused as we go through this the first time, as we read through it the first time, and that's okay. I don't blame you. There's absolutely no reason that you should understand what we're about to read initially, if, if you've never heard it before especially, and that's okay. Uh, we're going to try to our best to explain it and see how we can apply this to our lives today. But these particular verses, Matthew 25, 1 through 13, they are one of the many parables of Jesus that we find in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If that's a foreign word to you, just this idea of what a parable is, I'll give you the short version of it. A parable is basically a story that illustrates or uh, explains uh, something to do with morality or something to do with religious truth. Um, basically a fictitious story, again, that it's, it illustrates a moral attitude or a, or a religious principle. And Jesus teaches in parables a lot. A lot. Most of you guys are very aware of that. There's a whole heck of a lot that I could say about parables in general. I really, I really went down a rabbit hole this past week um, as I was preparing for this, looking, looking through this idea of what parables are and, and, and the uh, explanation behind them and all that. And there's a lot of information out there about the background of parables. Um, but that's really what you need to know. We don't have time to do that this afternoon or this morning. However, if you are interested in finding more, finding out more about parables, we are going to be discussing the parables of Jesus this Wednesday, Bible study, 6 o'clock. And we would absolutely love to have you. Kevin over there smiling, he gets it. But yeah, we actually are going to talk about how to read the parables of Christ uh, this, this Wednesday. And it, it's really interesting stuff. But anyway, the uh, one we're going to read today is Matthew 25, 1 through 13. Matthew 25, 1 through 13. Again, this is not going to make any sense to you whatsoever, more than likely. But I want to read through it, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about it. I'll, I'll try my best to explain it a little bit and uh, explain to you how this applies to our life in 2023. So at the time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and they went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five of them were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil and jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy, and they fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here is the bridegroom, come to meet him. Then all of the virgins woke up, and they trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you, both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet. And the door was shut. Later the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. Don't get confused by that Lord, Lord. That's, that's what they're referring to as the bridegroom. Not, this isn't, they're not talking to God or Jesus. They're, they're talking to the bridegroom. That's how they referred to it. Let the others, later the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But the bridegroom replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. 
Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. That's the word of God for the people of God. So the NIV translation, the New International Version translation that I, that I just read to you, refers to this as the parable of the ten virgins and these characters within this story, within this parable, in, in this translation anyway, are often referred to as by the same term. The translation that you're reading may, may refer to it as the parable of the ten bridesmaids. It may refer to them as bridesmaids as opposed to virgins. Don't let that sidetrack you. That, has, that, that The virginity absolutely has zero relevancy to this story whatsoever. But there are a lot of details in this story. It's a simple story, really. That's a simple story with a very simple, very basic idea, but it contains a whole heck of a lot of details that are way, way unfamiliar to us, a lot of cultural details that are way unfamiliar to us in the United States and southern Georgia in the year 2023. Most of this stuff is not going to matter, but what I want to do is, uh, is uh, first of all, understand that the, the audience that Jesus was addressing, they would have gotten all these details. They would have understood what was going on. They would have been very familiar with the background of the story. So I just want to give you the gist. Really, most of these details don't matter, and I'll explain to, that, I'll explain to you why, but, but I'll give you the gist, the basic background of what's going on in the story. Like I said, the audience that Jesus would have been telling this story to would have been very, very familiar with these details. Basically, the bride and her bridesmaids would wait at the bride's home uh, for the groom to arrive. Most of the time, this, this happened after dark. And there would be a lot of dancing, there would be a lot of celebration that, that kind of led up to the whole thing, that kind of led up to the main event. In Jesus' story, though, for some reason, and we're not told why, for whatever reason, this, this bridegroom, the groom is running late, and everybody, everybody in the story falls asleep. So when it's announced that the groom is finally on his way, it kind of it catches everybody by surprise, right? They all wake up, and then some of them discover, hey, we don't have enough oil. Remember, it's nighttime, it's dark. Hey, we don't have enough oil to keep burning throughout the night. So they asked some of the other bridesmaids, hey, can we borrow some of yours? But, of course, they didn't want to run out too. So these who had forgotten are these, these, these who the story describes as the unwise bridesmaids. They go out to buy some more oil. In the meantime, the groom arrives, and the wedding proceeds without the five unwise bridesmaids. So you got five instead of and ten. Now, in this culture, this would have been a major embarrassment to the wedding party. It would be a major embarrassment to a wedding party in 2023 in Valdosta, Georgia, in South, in South Georgia. Imagine the fact that your bridesmaids don't show up or your, or your groomsmen don't show up. You get kind, of the, kind of get the idea of what an embarrassment this thing would be. Generally, in this culture, everybody in the village would have been invited to the wedding uh, celebration. But Jesus says what happened when these unwise uh, bridesmaids returned, they actually barred the door shut and didn't let them in. Not only that, and this is why I pointed out this part to the scripture to you, so you would, would understand that. Not only did they bar the door, the, brooms, the, the, the bridegroom says, I don't even know these people. So they get left behind. So that's kind of the gist of what's going on in this story. Um, just, just so you understand some of, these, some of these smaller details. Let me back up a minute, though. Hopefully y'all will remember, and this is going to help you a little bit, I hope, Hopefully y'all will remember that on a number of occasions, of occasions when I have talked to you guys about reading the Bible, when I've talked to you guys about interpreting Scripture, and we've talked about this a lot recently on Wednesday nights, but when we're interpreting Scripture, when we're interpreting a particular portion of Scripture, in our case today, it's Matthew 25, 1 uh, through 13, when we are interpreting a portion of Scripture, it's extremely important to know what's going on in the overall story. 
In other words, what's going on outside of these verses? It's extremely important to know that we have the bigger picture. So when we're reading this parable, what I mean by that is what's going on beforehand? What's going on in the previous verses? What's going on in the, in the subsequent verses? And that gives us a better idea of, a, of, of the overall story, and it gives us a bigger picture other than just interpreting what we're reading right here in these, in these few verses. So um, let me tell you about how this kind of sets up. In Matthew 24 and Matthew 25, you find a very, very specific theme. Jesus is basically talking about two things. Number one, he's talking about the destruction of the temple in, uh, in Matthew 24. We're not going to talk about that today. Uh, Matthew 24 continues, and he starts talking about the end times. And that's kind of where it picks up. He ta he's talking about the end times, and he's talking about his return. We pick up in Matthew 25. He continues talking about the end times, and he continues talking about his return. That's the entire chapter um, of the Gospel of Matthew. So with this in mind, we find a number of parables in Matthew 25 that helps us understand this idea of what Jesus is getting at. And that idea is being ready, being prepared. The first of these parables we just read, it's called the parables of the ten virgins or the parables of the ten bridesmaids. Matthew really wants to greatly emphasize that Jesus could come that the end could come and that Jesus could return at any time, so we need to be ready. So this is kind of why the details of this strange story, I'm not going to say they're totally unimportant, but for the most part, we can get the message without understanding all of these different cultural details. Jesus sums up the message of what he's getting at, his theme, at the very end of this story today. Keep watch, because you don't know the day or the hour. Be ready. Be prepared. Keep watch. The very simple message of this parable is one that Jesus touches on multiple times throughout the Gospels. Over in, over in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verse 40, he says, you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect it. So that's basically the simple point of this whole very weird, very strange to our modern ears type of story. He sums it up right there in verse 13. This is, what, this is what I'm getting at. Keep watch. You do not know the day or the hour. Be prepared. Be ready. Now, if you were to read beyond our scriptures here in Matthew 25 and read out throughout the rest of the chapter, you're going to find two other parables that address pretty much the same theme, and that is the return of Jesus. After this parable, after the parable of the ten virgins, you'll run into something we refer to as the parable of the talents, which is another story, another theme about Jesus' return in which he instructs us to remain productive while we await his second coming. You would, beyond that, in the uh, concluding verses of the Gospel of Matthew, you find something we call the parable of the sheep and the goats. The parable of the sheep and the goats prompts us to care for the needs of some of the most hopeless and the most forgotten people among us as we await the return of Christ. So it's really neat the way this whole thing starts unfolding from kind of the middle of Matthew 24 all the way to the end of Matthew 25. You get what happens is you put all these parables together and you get this string of messages. You get this string of messages about the second coming of Christ, about the end times, what we call sometimes. And, uh, and uh, 
you get this, me- this, this string of messages and this string of instructions from Jesus regarding his return. There's actually five of them that I kind of counted, starting about midway through Matthew 24 all the way down through the end of Matthew 25. Remember, main theme, Jesus' second coming. Five instructions. Number one, the end is coming. Jesus will be returning. That's where we start. Number two, nobody knows the hour of the day. Number three, be prepared. That's the story that we get right here in our, in our uh, parable of the ten virgins today. Be prepared. Be ready. Number four, stay productive. That's the parables of the talents. We're not going to talk about that today, but you can feel free to uh, do that on your own. Continue to be productive. Pretend to be productive. Work, work for the kingdom of God. And lastly, number five, what we find in the, sheep and the parable of the sheep and the goats, the last parable of Matthew 25, is instructions to demonstrate our discipleship to Christ by caring for others. And it's really those last two parables. It's really the, the ideas behind those last two parables there in Matthew 25 that I want to talk to you guys about uh, during, the, during the few minutes that we have left. What about in the meantime? And if I, had, I don't, I'm not real good. I'm not the most creative person in the world. And that's a, that's a gross understatement. So I don't come up with cute little titles for my sermons uh, like a lot of folks do, like a lot of preachers do. But if I had to title this sermon, that's what I would call it. I would call it In the Meantime. What do we do in the meantime? Because we've been waiting on Jesus to return for about 2,000 plus years, right? The early church expected Christ to return pretty much at any time. But that didn't happen. And it hasn't happened in 2,000 plus years. But we still believe that. We still believe as Christians, this is an orthodox, traditional belief, that at some point, yeah, Christ is coming back to make all things right, to renew the world, to bring together heaven and earth like the Revelation talks about. We affirm that when we, when we read the Apostles' Creed together. We didn't, we didn't do that this morning, but that's part of, our, part of our basic faith affirmation is that we believe that Jesus, Jesus is coming back. So what do we do in the meantime? What do we do in this unknown period? You remember I've talked to you about the kingdom of God before? And how I've told you that the kingdom of God is not this idea of, of, the, of this, you know, let's just suffer through it on earth and, and grit our teeth and bear it so we can die one day and, and, and go to some other off-the-world place. That ain't the kingdom of God. That may be, heaven may be a part of the kingdom of God, but that's not the fullness of God's kingdom. God's kingdom is here. It's here and now. If you think I'm preaching something crazy, trust me, I'm not. The kingdom of God was initiated on earth with Jesus Christ himself kingdom of God was initiated with Jesus himself and we get to participate in that as believers, as disciples, as followers of Christ, we get to be what? We get to be his agents his representatives of the kingdom of God on earth and I try to, I try to remember, remind you guys of this often that's why he taught us to pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth on earth so what do we do in the meantime, we don't remain passive for one thing. We don't just sit back passively. We continue on this mission and this purpose that Christ has given us. We go on carrying out what we refer to in the church as the Great Commission that we find in the last chapter, the last verses of the Gospel of Matthew. It's the last recorded words of Christ that we find in that gospel to go and make disciples of Jesus Christ baptizing 
them, baptize, making disciples of Jesus Christ of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. In the meantime, this is our mission. This is what we do. Ever since October, we have been talking about our mission as the church, not just as Bemis United Methodist Church, but the church in general. The church is us, folks. I don't know how in the world we got to this idea that the church is this thing, this, this structure. The church is us. The church is me. It's you. It's Tom. It's Margaret. It's Mickey. It's Christina. It's Jackie. It's Sandy. It's Carl. It's Chad. It's us. It's every Christian who has ever existed before we were here, while we're here, and who will ever exist after we're here. And this is our job. This is our mission. This is what we fulfill in the meantime. What's our mission statement of the United Methodist Church? Somebody. I heard, I heard some of you said it. Some of you got it. Speak up. It's okay. Yeah, to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. It's okay. That's what we do. It's who we are. It's what Christ calls us to do. He calls us to be. He commands us to be. In the meantime, this is what we do. We don't sit back passively and kind of just get by, kind of just look like the rest of the world. We focus on our mission to grow individually in our likeness to Christ to grow our churches, our, our local churches into the likeness of Christ, to grow our local bodies into the likeness of Christ, to bring non-believers into that relationship with Christ and continue on and on and on. This is what we do. In the meantime, being and making disciples. Here's a great quote that I came across this week while I was going over this. and I can't, I can't even remember where I got this from. But wherever it was... The, uh, the writer wrote this. He said, We don't wait idly for Jesus' return, nor do we live like it's an opportunity to indulge the flesh. Meditate on that for a while. We don't wait idly for Jesus' return, nor do we live like it's an opportunity to indulge the flesh. Instead, we live as new, transformed humans who take advantage of the divine delay of Christ's return to join in God's redemptive process. We live out our days bearing witness to Jesus, continuing his mission, fighting back the powers of darkness, and hastening the day when God's purposes will be fully accomplished. That gets my blood going, folks. I love that. What a beautiful statement that is. How do we live in the here and now? How do we live between in these, this in-between time of, of God's kingdom on earth, but it's not yet fully realized? Just like that just like that, bearing witness to Jesus, continuing his mission, fighting back the powers of darkness, and hastening the day when God's purposes will be fully accomplished. What do we do in the meantime? Church, we continue, as Matthew 25 tells us, we continue caring for the most vulnerable and the most needy among us, and we continue making a difference in the world. And we continue making a difference in our local community. Anybody ever has any questions why we do some of the things that we do at Bemis? This is why. Because we're directed to do that. I'm going to read you something, church, and I'm, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's something I've read to you before. I know I've read to you before because it's one of these particular scriptures that I, that, I, that, I, that, I, that I emphasize very often over and over. It's when I emphasize my personal life. It's when I emphasize for you guys. 
And it's located in the same chapter. It's located at the very end there of Matthew 25. What do we do in the meantime? We continue caring for the most vulnerable, for the most needy among us, and we continue making a difference in the lives of individuals and in the lives of families. These last few verses is another parable of Christ where he's, again, speaking by, about his return. And he's speaking about what we do in the meantime. And it's kind of a lengthy piece of scripture. <clears throat> but I want you all to think about this. I'm, I'm, I'm going to read this to you, then we're going to be done. And I, I just want you all to, I'm going to read this kind of slowly. And I want you to, I want you to kind of soak this in. What do we know? We know that Christ is coming back at some point. Maybe, maybe, maybe by noon today, maybe 3,000 years from now. We don't know. But we also know at the same time that Christ calls us not to be passive, not to be idle in our relationship with him, not to be idle as his representatives here on earth. And he gives us some pretty doggone specific instructions in the Gospels. This one's pretty powerful to me. This one's always been a powerful, powerful uh, piece of scripture to me. So I want you to kind of soak it in. Again, I'm going to read it kind of slowly. Think about the return of Jesus. Think about what we're doing as individuals, what we're doing as churches in the meantime, in this in-between time, if you will, and carrying out that mission of Christ because he's pretty doggone serious about this stuff. And I, and I, and I hope that you get the seriousness of how serious he is about how we live, particularly how we treat our neighbors, one another. I'm going to read this again. I'm going to read this whole thing to you slowly and then I'll pray and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll wrap this up but this is the parable of the sheep and the goats that I told you guys about or that I mentioned a few minutes ago it starts in verse 31 it ends in verse 46 again this is the words of Christ Jesus said when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him. He will separate people one from another, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right, and he will put the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And here it is. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will say to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers and my sisters, you did to me. That's pretty powerful in and of itself. That's, that's a pretty powerful piece of scripture. 
just, uh, just by itself. But let me, let me read you the rest of the story. Starting in verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, tell me if this isn't a gut punch, church. Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And then they will go away into eternal punishment but the righteous to eternal life. In the meantime, stay productive, make disciples, care for the world around us and make a difference. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, this morning for one another, God. We thank you so much for your, for your church, God. We thank you for your salvation. Uh, Lord, we thank you so much. This, you know, we don't, we, this is not something for us to fear, your return, God. We look forward to it. We can't wait for the culmination uh, of your kingdom, God, to occur where, where love and mercy and grace and kindness and gentleness and self-control truly do reign. God, we, we look forward to that day. In the meantime, we ask, God, that you would help us to heed your words. We ask, God, that you would help us to heed your instructions. God, help us to build your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven as we pray so very often when we recite the prayer that Christ himself taught us. Give us hearts, God, for the needs of those around us. Give us hearts, God, to, to, uh, to spread the essence, the overall character of you, the overall character of Christ, God, in our relationships, in our homes, in our families, in our friendships, in our acquaintances, God, and certainly, certainly, certainly among our brothers and our sisters here in the church. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.